Original content. Content. Compelling discussions. Audio on demand. This is a Podcast 225 production. Synonyms of the word change. Alter. Make different. Become different. Adjust. And every day, we evolve. We adapt. We change. And this is where we talk about it. This is The Clay Young Show. Back at it again. What's going on? Welcome back to The Clay Young Show podcast here at podcast225.com. Today we're going to have a discussion about what's happening in schools. And this is a different perspective. For over a year, you've heard people talk about why we need to get kids back in school and why kids need to be in the school building. And that's been the really overarching commentary from many in government. Let's get the kids in school. Not everyone, Let's get, but let's get the kids back in school. Well, there is a rising resistance to this line of thinking. And today we're going to talk to three moms who are, well, a part of the resistance. And they've got a story to tell. They are just the opposite of most everyone else in public ed as it relates to schools. Uh, Found out about this last week and was intrigued by what they were saying and wanted to give them a chance to come in and say what their movement is about. Now, they're going to be joining us by way of phone in just a moment. So we're going to talk with members of the Louisiana for Safe and Healthy Schools initiative And uh, they got a lot to say. I mean, the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education had their meeting uh, a couple days ago as we record this. Oh, man. What's that kind of show? They say something is. What is it? Uh, That'll come to me. Well, that's what that was. And it was in full display for people to see. Just all kind of tomfoolery. I don't really care which side of any argument you are on. Whenever I see grownups acting like that, it just reminds me what politics can reduce people to. And I'm not saying I'm I'm so above it. I don't get passionate about what I believe politically and that I don't have my positions that I want to stick to. I'm 100% with that. However, however, (laughs) I'm not going to be in some conference hall or in a chamber at no not doing that no 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 so let's get after it hey look throw me a like and to follow on facebook on twitter you can get me at clay young br on instagram clay underscore young br and uh, just as we drive by here before we get to the ladies this week's edition of the clay young tv show at wbrz plus It uh, airs, as you know, on Fridays, 7.30 p.m., and the replays are on Saturdays at 2 and 2.30 p.m. Our guests on this week's show are Fred Rayford, the Director of Drainage and Transportation with the Parish of East Baton Rouge, and Dr. Catherine O'Neill. That's right. Cannot wait to talk with her. Uh, Doctor of... um, of, of immense knowledge and who has talked so, I mean, she's been all over talking about COVID and just so measured and patient. And if you get a chance, check out the TV show up next three ladies, 
a couple of which will be guests on the show next week as we talk about whether or not schools should open back up. Coronavirus. It's changing as you and I speak right now. Yeah. When the world changes, there's one place the Capital Region comes for answers. We have increased stress and the closure of schools. Podcast225.com and The Clay Young Show. Answers to your COVID-19 questions. That's pretty much how most viral illnesses act. From the people at the top. Truly an invisible enemy that we're uh, fighting here. The world is changing. Are you ready? Clay Young here with John Conroy. He is the founder and owner of Pest Stop Do-It-Yourself Pest Control. More than 20 years of helping you do it yourself. Got a phrase for you. Crazy ants. And no, it's not what you're thinking. What do you do about those pests if you find them in your home? Yeah, you'll recognize these. They're different from others. One, they don't have any mounds. Secondly, mm. you won't have any fire ants in the yard because they kill them. Really? Yeah. They don't bite, but they can cause a lot of damage. And they'll be in droves. I mean, right. it's, like the, it's like the whole ground is moving. Right, right, okay? right. And you've got to use a product with fipronil in it because in normal insecticides, there's just too many of them. It won't work. Man, it's so interesting. I know people are just hearing about it for the first time. So if you're in the capital city region and you want to protect your home, what do you do? Well, just come by and see us. Our Baton Rouge store is located at 806 O'Neill Lane. That's about a block south of Old Hammond Highway. Or give us a call with questions at 273-4788. 20 years of helping you do it yourself at Pesta. The issues, the policies, the people. This is The Clay Young Show. Back with Caitlin Joshua, who is a parent and policy advocate and organizer at Power Coalition for Equity and Justice. Jennifer Herricks who is also a parent and microbiologist and is founder of Immunize Louisiana, and Crystal Raman, who's a parent also with Immunize Louisiana. Hey, ladies, how are y'all? <laughs> well, it's good to have you here. The official name of the, the movement that you're a part of is Louisiana for Safe and Healthy Schools and Communities. And so I will begin by asking you to explain what it is and what your mission is. And you can, one of you or all of you can jump in on that. Cool. Um, so, Caitlin uh, and Joshua here, I'll start us off, y'all. Um, so, uh, Louisiana for Safe and Healthy Schools and Communities came about organically. Um, like as you stated, we are a group of moms, advocates, um, physicians, scientists that do believe that folks should be able to go back to school, but we should be doing it safely. And so just really wanting to get together, bring forth our demands around the COVID-19 protocols that we're seeing or lack thereof in our schools across the state. And so Jen or Crystal, if y'all wanted to expound on that a little bit. Um, yeah, sure. This is Crystal. Um, so with our organization, our mission is pretty simple, um, to advocate for evidence-based public policy to keep our schools and communities safe and healthy during the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and so I think it's very important we emphasize that evidence-based piece of it just because we know there's so much misinformation going on today. And so really having informed policy that is based in science and evidence. And so, Absolutely. This is. Go, yeah. ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to agree with uh, everything those those ladies said. You know, and it was very organic. A group of concerned parents coming together and kind of um, you know watching this watching this grow as as things have moved along and developed. And 
and we really want, you know, policy-based and evidence to keep our kids safe. Well, and that's been the discussion right now. As as you all know, school has begun on the K through 12 level, and now kids are also moving back on to college campuses to begin uh, the colleges and community colleges going again. So what is your perspective on the decision to do class in person and the the structure that has been outlined by the state board of education and the governor's office? Absolutely. Um, I am quite, I think we all are quite impressed with some of the suggestions and recommendations coming out of the governor's office. Obviously, with him having an executive order, um, casting that uh, mass mandate across the state, including K-12 through schools, really laid out some provisions for schools to follow. Unfortunately, because the state superintendent did not um, evoke any particular COVID-19 protocol, statewide, it left the schools to kind of have local control as to how they were going to figure out COVID-19 during this pandemic, during the worst surge of the state. And so um, what what we're seeking to do, and the reason why the work that we're doing is so important in this time, is to kind of fill in the gaps, like bring bring forth some demands to Cade Brumley, the superintendent, letting him know that there should be some statewide protocol. The bar should be set high for how we're doing in-person school if we do, in fact, have to do in-person. And so although we would love to see a statewide virtual option, that just seems like it makes the most sense. As of right now, we're batting, we're kind of starting at zero, just working with um, various, like I said, local control ideas, and everyone's kind of for themselves at this point. So we're trying to bring it together as a streamlined process um, and a streamlined protocol. Well, that's really my question directly. Do you think kids ought to be back on campus now? And if so, tell me, tell me why, or if not, tell me why. Yes, this is Dr. Jennifer Herricks. Um, so I think the ultimate goal, as Caitlin said, is to get all of our kids back in school in person. However, um, we need to consider, is that the safest thing to do right now? We've got the Delta variant has taken over in Louisiana. It's highly contagious. So each person who gets infected will, in effect, around five people. I think the estimate was like five to eight additional people. Um, so that is, that's very, very, very contagious. That's a lot of spread. Um, and we are already seeing hospitals filling up. Now, you know, as it stands right now, schools are supposed to be complying with the governor's mask mandate. Um, is that enough? You know, we're hearing from teachers across the state that their classrooms are full. There's no social distancing. Um, you know, we've got a small classroom full of 25 to 30 students in the class. And then um, LDH, because school has started again, they've started reporting on the numbers of infections associated with schools and with school outbreaks. Now, those numbers are concerning for two reasons. One, because they are high. Um, let me see. I have the numbers. Over here, they, I think, yeah, so let me get you those totals. So total, there were, for last week, there was 350 teachers infected, over 2,000 students, and that report came from 528 schools across the state. So they, that's concerning because those numbers are high. What's more concerning 
is that that came from 528 schools, which leaves out about 1,200 schools not reporting. So wow. we can imagine that those numbers are actually a lot higher. What is the balance? Because I think you're right. The, the myth that children cannot contract this virus has been busted weeks ago, and we're seeing the proof in some of the numbers that, are, that have gone up. I saw that there were about uh, a, nearly a dozen cases at the Children's Hospital in Baton Rouge earlier this week and, and watching that. So what's the balance between keeping kids safe so that they don't contract the virus and then take it home and, and create spreaders within their homes and also making certain that children are, are not losing more ground in terms of schoolwork and, and their education? I think at this point, and Crystal, I'll toss it over to you. Um, sure. At this point, there's no way to do that, Clay, without us accepting the fact that in this moment it might be good that we go to a virtual option for the maybe for the next couple months. I know that's a hard pill to swallow, but if we're talking reality and wanting to see these numbers decrease and mitigating the amount of COVID kids are bringing back home to their parents and guardians, et cetera, the only way to do that is to go virtual. Um, if we are going to stick with this idea that we have to be in person because some folks may not have the, a lot of folks don't have the luxury of staying at home with their children, they have to work. And for that reason, we do have to fill in that gap then folks are going to have to enforce the mask. We're going to have to look at other options for allowing social distancing that we're not seeing, whether that means opening up more, um, I don't know, gyms or other facilities that could serve as a school or classroom for folks to be able to have those distance, have that distance between each other in the class. But until we, we change and, and the way that we're operating right now, it's not going to um, mitigate any of the, the COVID-19 numbers that we're seeing across the state. Anybody else want to jump in um, on that? Yeah. Yeah. So this is Crystal. And just to kind of um, reiterate what Caitlin said, that it's really a balance between all of the social um, and economic issues and then just basic medical um, priorities. So we, we kind of have, uh, I feel like it's been this um, kind of a dichotomy, a false dichotomy between health and, you know, um, the, the social um, dynamics that really help people thrive in their schools. Um, so I think it doesn't have to be an either or. It can be a both and if we have aggressive um, public health policies for schools. So um, I was reading an article from an epidemiologist named Caitlin Gentilina, and um, she cited this model that came out of North Carolina and how it can actually uh, mitigate risks pretty well in schools. Um, and it's through, you know, masking, social distancing, and surveillance measures like testing um, can be just super important to keep kids safe. Um, the concern that I have is that they're also projecting or estimating that without masks, or regular testing, up to 90% of susceptible students could be infected with COVID by the end of the semester. So just in a few months, we're already not in a good place. Um, Dr. Gentilina also said that uh, right now, with only about 38% of children that are expected to have immunity right now, that still leaves another 34 million students. This is in our country. Um, 
without protection and could be susceptible to COVID. Um, and if you look at a rate of maybe, there's estimates that go anywhere between 0.1% and 1.9% of um, students that will be hospitalized from COVID. So pediatric cases under 18. Um, and so if you're looking at that um, kind of liberal estimate of 1.9%, that's about one in 50 students will be hospitalized from COVID. And so if we break those numbers down, um, that's 6,800 pediatric ICU beds. In our country, we only have 4,500 beds. So to really break it down a little bit further, this is personal because each of these students has a right to their education, a right to be protected in a safe and healthy school environment. So what, if, what have, have you heard from school officials, both here and, and say locally where we are in East Baton Rouge Parish, and those on the statewide level? Yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. Um, we're hearing a mixed bag of things. And so um, locally in East Baton Rouge Parish, I mean, teachers are freaking out um, at this point. Uh, a lot of the school officials are kind of feel like they've just kind of been left out there to figure it out on their own, and, and which is something that we didn't want to happen, and that's why we were trying to get ahead of um, the governor's or back up the governor's mandate but get ahead of Kate Brownlee's local control option simply because th- we knew that it was going to create a disaster. And so the school officials, the teachers, um, they're inundated with questions and um, trying to figure out the virtual learning while simultaneously handling the kids in class that are coming down with COVID, having to send them to these areas, designated areas, where you go to once you've tested positive for COVID or you have the COVID-like symptoms. And so having to get through a work day or a school day where you're trying to teach but also trying to quarantine children, trying to figure out who contract who contact tracing and figuring out who was the last person to come in contact with this child that is COVID positive, it's impossible to get through a, a lesson that way. And so teachers are demanding. We've got um, a few unions at the table with us for the Louisiana Safe and Healthy Schools and Communities because they want their voices heard. Like, this cannot go on for much longer. We're seeing full schools, like, in quarantine together. And that's just something that could have been completely avoided had we enforced the mask and enforce better protocols such as the social distancing. So at this point, I think it's time to kind of escalate the conversation around what can we do right now. We don't have time to wait to next week, the next week. And so starting tonight at the East Baton Rouge Parish School Board meeting, we will be bringing forth some more demands and encouraging our members, our board members, to be able to take a stand, speak on behalf of our um, teachers and faculty and tell our, our, our superintendent, hello, like we, we got to have some better protocols than what we're dealing with out here. And, and a few yeah, examples. I jump- I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. Thank you. I just, this is Jennifer Herrick. So I wanted to jump in there and just also say, you know, I feel like there is this, this false dichotomy that we're looking at here, you know, either being completely virtual and, you know, all the mitigation measures, but then our kids are going to fall behind in school or going back to school as it was before we had a pandemic and then, you know, school's just normal. But if we do that and kids get sick and kids are bringing that infection home, yes, you've got kids quarantining all the time, classes quarantining, teachers getting sick, teachers being out, not being able to teach, um, parents needing to take off time, you know, because their kids are now home in quarantine, family members getting sick, you know, going to the hospital, 
filling our hospitals even more. How are we expecting our kids to learn in that environment? You know, versus we have some simple public health tools that we can use. Um, a lot of them were used last year, um, and they were successful uh, for the most part at, you know, reducing the number of outbreaks of COVID-19 in schools. Now we have a, a more infectious variant that is affecting more kids, and it seems like our schools are now doing less than they were doing last year. And so for me, that just, it doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, what? what is, I, I just don't understand the thinking um, from the leadership. Uh, we need leadership to step in and really say, you know, our priority is our kids and making sure that they can learn in a, self, a safe and healthy environment. And we need to, as a community, we really need to come together and do whatever it takes to get our kids there. Because, yes, we need them to learn, and that is extremely important, but they are not going to learn if they're getting sick, if they're being sent home to quarantine, if their teachers can't be there to teach them. And also, you know, as the infection spreads in the community from schools, when their family members are getting sick and possibly having to go to the hospital as well. Um, those are all things that we need to avoid so that our kids can learn. What do you think about the pressure that was put on school administrations, both statewide and locally, by people who have been saying children need to be back in school, open the schools back up? We heard that last fall when schools were shut down because of the virus. And then this year in the spring and then through the summer, school superintendents were catching pressure and a lot of it was political saying, hey, y'all need to open up. Kids need to go back to school. And that's where we were. Now, obviously, the reality has shifted some because of these surges and and virus cases. But what what's your response to that, that these administration people are only answering the pressure that's on them to open schools back up? Caitlin, do you want to take that? Yes, certainly. Sometimes. Um, yeah, certainly. So I think the pressure, I think we should, the narrative should have been, the, the response from officials across the board statewide should have been, okay, if we're going to open up, this is how we can do it safely. And no ifs and buts about it, just solely laying out a COVID-19 plan that made sense, like the one that we're, we've been speaking on this call today. Like, okay, if you're going to want businesses to stay open, schools to stay open, employees to report, everyone to do this in a safe way. you got to be willing to wear the mask. Yes, we don't necessarily have the jurisdiction to push vaccines. We understand that's a very touchy subject, and folks are not ready to have that conversation. But, okay, you want your kid to come back in person, they have to wear the mask. And I think uh, if that would have been the response and um, to any parent, whether you're on either side, if that would have been the, the plan laid out for folks, then there would have been no question as to how we're moving forward in this 2021-2022 school year. But because we kind of left it open as everything's an option and you can still get your way with your kid going to school, we're seeing these 500-plus people in quarantine. Um, I think Orleans had a school up to 1,000 in quarantine, and that's solely because we did not implement the proper COVID-19 protocols in the summer. If we knew the pressure was coming, we should have been on one accord that we were we were working our butts off in these last few months to get our schools ready for these kids to come back. But because we did not do that, 
we should not have started immediately as if this was a regular school season. And so I think if the response would have been, we're taking all of these measures to alter our normal, to make this a new normal just for the time being, let's get through this pandemic with masks, then we would have thought a different response from parents and teachers and folks alike who have kids and have some buy-in in these school systems. So earlier this yeah, week... Yeah, and I just want to... Go ahead, go ahead. I was, this is Jennifer Herrick. I was just going to add to that. Um, like you were saying, you know, earlier in the summer, things were looking better for our state. Yeah. Um, yeah. Things shifted rather quickly, um, but but we should have seen this coming. We knew about Delta. We have known about Delta. Public health officials and experts were warning us that this is coming and this is going to affect people, especially unvaccinated people. So, you know, as as school leaders were getting ready for the 2021-2022 school year, that should have been in their considerations, knowing that this is on the way and we need to be ready for it. And we need to make sure that if we're going to do schools back in person, that we have all the safety protocols to protect because kids under 12 cannot be vaccinated, cannot be protected with a vaccine. So we need to do all the other things that we know can protect people from a respiratory virus. Uh, At the Bessie meeting earlier this week, you were there and uh, others were there to speak on the issue of what's happening with schools. As I referenced off the air to you, to you all before we started, it, it kind of broke down into an episode of Mama's Family and, um, and, and just with some things that were just a spectacle. But y'all were there for a dialogue and a conversation with Bessie members. Tell me what your goal was and then explain to people who didn't see it what the atmosphere was like at Bessie. Yeah, the atmosphere was wild, for lack of a better term. (laughs) Um, Our goal was simple, to just go advocate on behalf of our kids, um, uh, on behalf of y'all's kids, their kids, everybody's kids, which I keep saying and stressing out loud, like this isn't a us or we or a them. We're we're worried about all of the children in the state as it pertains to them going back to school during this pandemic. And so we went to that Bessie meeting yesterday um, as a group, and we were super excited about being able to, to put our public comment on record and just have that conversation with Bessie board members why science matters, why math matters, and why during this pandemic is not the time, especially during the fourth surge, to take away the math out of schools. It's just a, an easy solution, right? And so we didn't even get that far. Um, around 9 a.m. is when they convened the meeting, um, and quickly it ensued into a rally, an anti-math rally, um, which, of course, we did not take part in. And then, of course, uh, Bessie board members came back in to state that they would adjourn the meeting if folks would not wear the mask. And as adults, at the very least, of complying with a executive order, as it stands in the books, whether you agree with it or not, would have been the simple thing to do. Unfortunately, 90% of the room refused to put those masks on. And as a result, they adjourned the meeting. The meeting didn't even take place. And ultimately, the mask mandate stands in K-12 schools. And so our goal was just to advocate for science and for reality, um, this reality that we're living in, and, and just making sure that we are mitigating any possible uh, any possible COVID-19 pandemic 
um, excuse me, COVID-19 uh, positivity for our kids. Like, that was our goal, was just to make sure kids are safe. And so, if uh, Chris or Jen wants to expand on that, feel free, y'all, but that's like a synopsis of what went down yesterday. <laughs> yes. Yes, this is Crystal. Um, and just to um, clarify, we were, the item that they were discussing on the agenda was specifically um, an open discussion surrounding um, Attorney General Jeff Landry's letter um, that was suggesting that um, Bessie leaves the um, policies and procedures up to each individual school district. And um, so we were coming specifically to advocate that, no, this now is not the time to um, break up and kind of disperse the um, various different levels of policy adherence that we need mask mandates in our schools. Um, and we need it through the, um, the duration of uh, Governor John Bill Edwards' uh, mandate, which is through September 1st. Um, and so that was a hotly contested item, and it's just so unfortunate that we weren't able to hear either side um, just because um, the democracy did not prevail in the meeting. Um, and so when that type of, uh, that type of thing happens, um, everybody loses. And so I just really hope that um, we're not sure when the Bessie board is going to meet again, but that um, everybody will be able to um, be heard. Yeah, and I just want to, you know, add to that. This is Dr. Jennifer Herricks again. Um, I was just really at awe that, that this meeting happened the way it did because I feel like it could have been prevented in so many ways. First, you know, we were in a state building while there's a statewide mask mandate. So why were people let into the building and allowed to stay in the room without a mask? For one thing, I think that there could have been some better planning um, around that meeting and some more enforcement. Um, I don't know why that didn't happen. And then uh, secondly, you know, haven't we all learned from 2020 that these things, these types of meetings, they can happen in a public forum with public comment virtually? You know, there's a thing called Zoom that I think we're all familiar with now, um, and there have been meetings that have happened this way before. So this all could have been done in a safe way. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it just, I don't know why it was not even considered. It seems like it wasn't even considered. So, and, and you know, the beginning of the meeting, they started with, you know, please put on your mask or leave or, you know, go to an, an overflow room. Um, which was ignored, and the meeting kind of proceeded from there. And, you know, in the end, like you said, everything just kind of erupted because of a refusal for people to either put on a mask or socially distance themselves. I think by the time the meeting got started and the mask issue wasn't addressed, it was probably too late then because once people were able to get into that room and not have to have a mask on, I mean, they were telling you then they didn't, they, they didn't do the mask thing and you let them in. So at that point, it was only going to be a confrontation. So, yeah, they probably could have handled that better from the start. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. so, and I'm very concerned that that meeting was very unsafe. Like Jennifer said, you know, we didn't use all of the tools in our toolkit to 
hear public comment if we had done something through Zoom or something like that. And that was probably, I mean, in a week from now, let's see if that turned into a super spreader event because there was hundreds of people unmasked shouting, aerosolizing all of their <laughs> particles in the air, and nobody wearing masks, no one social distancing. Um, and so that's my concern is that these kids are starting out their school year already behind because of the failure of our community to come together to protect them. Wow. Well, so so final question here. Um, well, final two questions. <laughs> what is your mm-hmm. ultimate goal now? And then how can people learn more about what you're doing? Yeah, I think our ultimate goal now would just be to continue putting that pressure on um, Dr. Cade Brumley, which is the school superintendent for the state, um, and, and letting him know our demands. Like, it's still not too late for us to be able to give a statewide COVID-19 protocol for schools, including the mask mandate that Governor John Bell Edwards has already uh, instated. And so that'll be one of our demands. We do have a few others, and if folks are interested, um, we are, we're Louisiana for Safe and Healthy Schools, and you can find us at Louisiana for Safe and Healthy Schools at gmail.com. We also have a petition on change.org for the parents, advocates, teachers, regular day folks that just want to lend their voice and let Kate Bromley and Governor John Bell Edwards know that we are in favor of masks and we are in favor of protecting our children during the pandemic. And you can easily find that change.org petition um, and just type in Louisiana for Safe and Healthy Schools and it should come right up. Um, and last thing I'll mention, and um, girls, weigh in if y'all want to, um, we are going to have a statewide meeting. We had one last weekend. It was amazing. Going to have another statewide meeting via Zoom. And so stay tuned for social media. We'll put that on our social media for folks to be able to hop in and plug in to our next action um, as we continue to bring forth demands. Well, you know, it's it's fascinating what you're doing and uh, the, the passion that it seems to create this whole thing is is, is amazing. And uh, you guys are going to be doing the, the TV show next week, too. So I'm looking forward to talking with you all in person. Well, I wanted to, to have an opportunity for you to share your thoughts in, in, in this platform so people can hear where you're coming from. Uh, your arguments about the safety of these children, I think, is an important one. So uh, thank you all. Anytime you guys want to come back in the future, you let me know and we'll get you back on. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Promote your business or organization on podcast225.com. Podcast225.com is quickly becoming a weekly tradition for Louisiana listeners. Every month, thousands hear the weekly Clay Young Show. Every week, Clay sits with some of the state's most fascinating and entertaining people. Posting your company's logo on the podcast225.com website or having a professionally produced commercial air on The Clay Young Show is a great way to access a loyal and informed audience. Get more information by calling 225-214-1550. That's 225-214-1550. Clay Young here with Brian Lowe with Brian Lowe Financial. Brian, when you talk about helping someone with their financial future, there may be people out there who are hesitant because... They don't know if they're going to understand what you are trying to get across to them. It's really not that complicated. It's not that complicated. Not everybody's an engineer. Sure. Not everybody understands the process. Right. <clears throat> Unfortunately, no matter what level you are on, uh, doctors, attorneys, they don't know any either. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, the point being is, let's get you in, sit down with you, ask you some values-based questions. Yes. 
what's most important to you with your money. Right. Do you want to die broke? Mm-hmm. I mean, you spend your last dollar on your last day, mm-hmm. or do you want to leave a legacy to your family? I mean, that's that's we can control this stuff, right? right? So uh, once you understand your purpose with your money, this is purpose-driven, a process. Mm-hmm. If you're analytical, this gets you through the analytical process. Mm-hmm. You know, I know how to talk to you. If you're big picture, let's talk big picture. How does it make you feel? Pick up the phone, give me a call. Let's talk about your values and your purpose with your money. 20 years of serving customers. BrianLowFinancial.com. This is The Clay Young Show. Well, you see how fired up those ladies are. Looking forward to talking with them more on the TV show. Here we go, moving into September. And I'm looking forward to a bit of cooler weather. It might be a little while, but I could use it. Could really, really use it. Anyway, thank you all for checking out the show this week. We appreciate you as always. And, uh, and that's it, man. Thank you all for being here. You can catch us next week. The Clay Young Show here at podcast225.com. Thanks for listening. Join us next week for another edition of The Clay Young Show.